The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Okay, let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 25. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that your Spirit would now speak to our hearts, lead and guide us into the truth, knowing the truth, that we would be set free. May we hear what you are saying to our hearts. Lord, there is so much going on in all of our lives, and we're hungry for you. We need your guidance. We are leaning into you and to hear the voice of your Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for sending your Son, Jesus. Thank you that he is our Lord, our Savior. Thank you that he is our Messiah. And we worship you. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb who gave his life that we might be saved for all time. So we give tonight into your hands in Jesus' mighty, wonderful name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to go through chapter 25. It's not a long chapter. Um, But I want to just say this, uh, blessed determination, that's the title of the message, because Paul was a man obsessed. He was obsessed with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And I want to give you this as the first life lesson of our study tonight. The purpose of life is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So beginning in verse 1, chapter 25, verse 1, it says, Now when Festus had come to the province, so we got Paul, he's in jail, he's kind of in between uh, Jerusalem and the Sanhedrin and then the Roman government and Caesarea. So when Festus had come to the province, after three days, he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul, and they petitioned him asking a favor against him that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. Now, this is the second time that they've wanted to ambush Paul and kill him. They failed the first time. Now they're ready to do it again. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore, he said, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. So I want to begin here. You know, Paul, you know, he's been through a lot. And now he has been in Caesarea under kind of house arrest for two years. We believe that he wrote many of the letters of the New Testament during those two years. But Paul's purpose what was Paul's purpose? What do, you, what do you think is the purpose of your life? Um, your very existence. Do you think about it often? After all of our lives finally come to an end, and one way or another, we go be with the Lord, what does that all mean? What was the purpose of our life and our existence? Why did God start us out? If we're going to be spending eternity with him, Why this brief season here on this fallen earth? And what is his purpose? Obviously, it's that we would come to know him and enter into a personal relationship with him. But once that happens, I believe the most important purpose of all of our lives is to share with our loved ones, with our own families, with our own spouses, with our own children, with our neighbors, with our friends, with our coworkers, 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of our lives, is to share Jesus. Now, some people don't think about the purpose of their life until their world comes crashing down, which has happened a lot in this last year and a half. And it comes crashing down upon you. Like, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? Should I stay? Should I go? Should I move? What should I do? What's interesting is, as we come now to the final chapters of the book of Acts, and we're narrowing in on the final days of the Apostle Paul, Paul, we find that Paul was guided by a purpose. He was guided by something that nothing could distract him, nothing could bring fear to him. He could not be overcome with fear because he knew what his purpose was. His purpose every day of his life was to make a clear defense of Jesus Christ that he had personally seen on the road to Damascus, whom he did not formally believe in, but whom he had been confronted with by the blinding glory, Shekinah, light, who was in the heavens speaking and calling it by name, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the voice spoke to him, I am Jesus. In Hebrew, I am Yeshua of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Paul was actually, you know, Jesus is in heaven. He is actually persecuting lovers and followers of Jesus Christ. But Jesus said, you touch them, you have touched me. He said, I am the head and you on earth are my body. You are my hands and my feet. And anyone who touches you touches me. It's good to know. Jesus takes it that personally. Anybody messing with you is messing with him. Anybody accusing you is trying to accuse him. So we are literally tied. We are the body of Christ. He is our head in heaven. But I want to share this with you. This is not just for pastors, not just for missionaries, not just for evangelists, but In a sense, for every single child of God, once you know him and have a relationship with him, your purpose is to share with others that Jesus of Nazareth is alive, that he rose from the dead, that he is the only person in all of human history that lived a perfect life, and that he was wrongly crucified Our sins, our guilt, all of humanity's shame was laid upon him. He bore it, and because he was pure and holy, he he paid for our sins. And because he was holy on the third day, sin and death and the devil had no legal right to hold on to him, and he rose from the dead. And all who believe and trust in him can also have resurrection life and can spend eternity with God and literally be born again, filled with his spirit, your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and to become, you have the right to become a son or a daughter of God Almighty. Amen? So what are we doing with our purpose? What is the purpose of the pandemic? What is the purpose of all this chaos? What is going on in the world? What's happening? And now there's people that are fighting and striking and and all kinds of chaos going on. Lord, what are you doing in the midst of all this? It's not merely for us to survive and get a nest egg that we can coast on somewhere down the road in our future. We are literally racing toward that, that thin line of eternity. 
And our purpose in the midst of all this is to use every occasion to share that Jesus is real. Jesus is alive. Jesus is risen. You can know him. Romans chapter 1 verse 16, Paul, I believe this was Paul's life purpose, and I believe it should be adopted by all of us as ours as well. So let's read it out loud together. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Man, can, do we not need today in 2021 a savior? We have a savior and the savior is Jesus. I am not ashamed of the gospel, which means good news of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So here is Paul. He's arrested now. He had done no wrong. He's violated no laws of the Jews, let alone of the Romans. And yet he has met with prejudice, with politics, with rejection. And what's amazing is we don't find Paul right here in Acts 25 in the middle of all this screaming, this is not fair. I am innocent. I didn't do any of these things. And God, you know, shaking his fist, what are you doing with my life? This is not fair. It's all unfair. The apostle Paul was there and his purpose was, I'm here to share Jesus Christ. And Lord, if these are the circumstances in which you want me to share with the high priest of Judaism, that Jesus of Nazareth, whom I formerly did not believe in just like you, but I have seen him and he is alive and he has risen from the dead. He is the fulfillment of all the Hebrew prophets who said the Messiah would come and be raised on the third day. He was able to share with all the Pharisees, with all the Sadducees, and now he's in Caesarea. Now he's before the Roman governor, representing the Roman Empire. And he goes, I want you as a Gentile governor, political guy, to know that Jesus of Nazareth is risen from the dead and he can be your savior as well. So look, we're gonna be tested by life. We're, we're, we're all going through the same test. Whether it is losing your job, losing someone you love, getting blamed for something you didn't do, being overlooked, when you're working harder than the next guy, but he or she is the one that is getting the recognition or the rewards? Are you all tangled up and focused on that? Here's Paul and this situation that he has been in has been dragging on for two years. But I want you to notice something. Paul, it did not make Paul angry. It did not make Paul resentful. It did not make Paul bitter. Why? because he was only focused on one thing. Whatever situation I'm in, whatever circumstance I'm in, I am focused, I am determined to give a witness that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior, Jesus is Messiah, Jesus is risen from the dead, and to glorify God in every single situation. So, look with me now in verses six through 12. And I want to just add this for your notes. There is a time when God's people need to make an appeal to Caesar. 
Beginning in verse 6, it says, And when he had remained among them more than ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. And when he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove, while he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you very well know. For if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you shall go. (laughs) Wow, Paul makes the ultimate appeal. The charges were numerous and serious. And they came from the Jewish nation's most respected religious authority, the Sanhedrin. And they had two years to develop a strategy to go after the Apostle Paul, and yet they came up with, after two years, nothing. No charges, no witnesses, no violations, no Jewish laws that weren't followed, no insurrection, no dishonoring of the temple. And so it's interesting that Paul had to wait All of this time, two years. And you may be wondering, you're in a situation and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're wondering, Lord, what are you doing? Don't worry about the waiting. God has everything under control. God is the one who with Paul, these guys thought they were playing chess with Paul. They didn't realize Paul was merely a pawn on the chessboard of the world. We are all God's pawns. And the one who's playing chess is God. And the ones on the other side have no idea who they're messing with and who they're playing against. And the outcome has already been determined. They lose. Jesus has already won the game. And he won it when he rose from the dead. So even with Paul, game over. You are done. They couldn't prove anything. And again, verses 10 through 12, note the holy boldness of Paul. He says, I'm standing where I belong in a Roman court of justice. I've done nothing wrong to the Jewish people. I've done nothing wrong to Rome. And he tells his judge, hey, Festus, and you know it. Looked him right in the eye. And then Paul dropped a bombshell. He shouted, I appeal to Caesar. How? Now, number one, Paul knew his rights as a Roman citizen. And he knew that I'm being convicted or I'm trying to be convicted of crimes where they want to kill me, capital punishment. And there was a law in Rome that said if you had charges against you that the punishment would be death, you had the opportunity to defend yourself all the way up to Caesar because only Caesar had the right for that high level of capital punishment. 
So the apostle Paul, as a Jew, but also as a Roman citizen, he went in to listen the realm of politics. Wait a minute, Paul, you're a Jewish guy. Uh, Yeah, you were a Pharisee. Now you believe Jesus is the Messiah. You're part of this little group called the Way. Jewish people who believe Jesus is the Messiah. What are you doing in politics? That's not our realm. We're religious people. Paul goes, no, no, no. I am not here merely to witness to my own people, the Jewish people, but God has called me and told me that I will witness in Rome. And literally, the Lord had told them, you will witness before the kings of this earth. So Paul entered into politics. Now, if I can just say this, uh, it seems like right now, much within the church, Reluctantly, we don't want to get into politics. You know, we pray and there's all different ways you can do taxes and all this other stuff. But if I may say, there are times when it comes to our freedom and our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and being able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ that we say, I am not going to back away from my rights and my freedoms As a citizen of the United States of America, as Paul said, I'm a citizen of the Roman Empire, and I will not be treated unfairly or be a, you know, a mat upon which you walk. I want to declare my rights, and I want to be able to say that I am not guilty of the things that you are charging. I'm not an insurrection. I'm not trying. He wasn't trying to overthrow Rome, and we're not trying to overthrow any political realm or whatever, but... There is a time where we stand up and we appeal all the way into politics for the purpose of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we don't back away, we're not ashamed, we're not afraid, and we will do whatever is necessary in order to protect those rights. Again, it's not to win. Our our hope is not in a political party. In fact, we're trying to get to the kingdom of heaven where there are no political parties anymore. Can I hear an amen on that? That's what we're about. And I believe that Paul was able to say, look, as Christians, we're not against Rome. In fact, we who are Christians are the best citizens Rome could have because we pray for all of you governors and all of you leaders. We're told by God to pray for you for divine protection, for wisdom, for health, that you prosper. You've got a lot on your shoulders. We're told not to steal, not to cheat, not to lie. We're to be productive. So we're the best citizens Rome could ever have. And I may say this, not only in America, but in any country around the world, the best citizens they can have are brothers and sisters who are totally sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ, living their lives for the kingdom of heaven. So once this appeal was made, I appeal to Caesar, nothing could stop it. And all of a sudden, I think that Festus started shaking in his little Roman boots. And I'll tell you why, because he realized Now, this is going to make me look bad because I got a guy that the Jews, they don't have any witnesses. They don't have any laws that he's broken. And it's all about their religious stuff anyway. He certainly hasn't broken any Roman law. And now this case is going to be thrown to Caesar and Caesar is going to say, why are you bringing this guy to me about some weird religious belief, whatever? What what, what are you doing? It's going to make him look bad. (laughs) So he was in a very, very difficult situation. But look with me in verses 13 through 21. Because Festus is not alone. The Festus of yesterday, there are Festuses, <laughs> if there is such a word. I love that. There are Festuses <laughs> of modern times. Every modern day Festus 
stumbles, listen, over the resurrection of Jesus. Follow along with me, verses 13 through 21. And after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. So they're uh, kind of the Jewish kings uh, that are coming out to Caesarea to meet the Roman Felix guy. And when they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king. So he's a Jewish king of the Herod family, saying, There is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix, about whom the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem, asking for a judgment against him. To them I answered, it is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction or death before the accused meets the accusers face to face, and he has opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. Therefore, when they had come together without any delay, the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. When the accusers stood up, They brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed, but had some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain man named Jesus who had died and whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. But when Paul appealed to be, uh, appealed to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept until I could send him to Caesar. So here's this Festus guy. He's puzzled over, he goes, so we get down to the law. Okay, give me the charges. Well, the guy comes out and he's, he's talking about some guy named Jesus who did miracles and then he died and then he was risen from the dead. So let me just say this. It must have been extremely confusing for Festus. He's trying to be a judge and Roman law did not cover resurrections. It wasn't in the Roman law. Insurrections were there, but not resurrections. So this is the first time this Roman guy who's a background of you know, gods and goddesses and pagan idols and you know, the little statues, they put a little food there and wonder why the statue doesn't eat it overnight or whatever. So he's like, what, who, what, who? Jesus of Nazareth, and he died. And then he rose from the dead, resurrection. I've never heard of that. He's confronted with a true believer. But in Festus's mind, he goes, I don't even know what to do with that. That's no law. Now you're in some theological thing. I don't know what to do with it. In fact, in verse 20, he said, I was at a loss how to investigate such matters. And I want to say that there are, look, here, every opportunity you have, whatever, so look here for just a moment, whatever battle you're facing, everybody's got some battle. Somebody's after you, you didn't pay your this, or you didn't do that, or you owe a bill, or you got a conflict, or there's a lawsuit, or there's a, some conflict at work, or whatever. That is your opportunity, one way or another, to share Jesus. Jesus, and to share your love for him. And that, it will blow their minds, as it did with Festus. He didn't know what to do with it. So because Agrippa, you know, had, he said, well, look, I'm a Jewish guy, and I know a lot about Jewish stuff. Let me look into this, and I will help you out. So that's where we go, and we're going to close, verses 22 through 27. And I'm going to just close with this 
powerful point. The most powerful man standing in that courtroom when Paul's finally brought in was the apostle Paul. So verse 22, it says, Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear this man myself. So I'm a Jewish king, and uh, I'm ready to hear him. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So the next day, when Agrippa, which is King Agrippa, and Bernice, uh, his wife, kind of, had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city, at Festus' command, Paul was finally brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me. I mean, this is serious stuff. The whole Sanhedrin said, you got to get this guy killed. Both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found out that he had not committed, he had committed nothing deserving of death and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Therefore, I have brought him out before you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after examination has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. How, would, how many would say amen to that? I don't even know what to write about. Sending the guy's broken what law? I don't know. So this case interests Agrippa, part of the Haird family, and, and I mentioned how Bernice is the queen. So he comes in to this hall, and it was quite a scene. King Agrippa has a golden crown, king of the Jews. And then his wife, Bernice, has a crown, golden crown, queen of the Jews. Now, the sad part of it is that she wasn't actually his wife. She was actually his sister, and it was a very, how many would agree that's a very strange situation? So that's who's now judging Paul on Judaism and laws and whatever else. So that's where they are. So they come in when their purple robes, their golden crowns on their heads. Then in comes Festus in a scarlet red robe of a Roman governor. Near Festus stands captains in command of the soldiers who are stationed at Caesarea. And in the background, a solid bank of tall Roman legionnaires. It's a big scene and, and it says, and with great pomp. So this was like a really big, heavy scene, all the royal gear, all the officers, the soldiers, the governors, the red, the purple, the crowns, and all the rest of it. And last, in comes the prisoner, the guy that has got Rome and all of the Sanhedrin and Israel in an uproar. A slight man, he's not very tall, he stooped over a little bit. He's wearing a threadbare tunic and chains dangle from his gnarled hands. But when Paul finally stands and they ask him to speak and this small man opens his mouth, his presence is magnetic. His eyes flash with power and with fire and from the moment he opens his mouth and begins to speak, Paul holds the room in awe. 
The presence of God fills that room, and the words that come out of Paul's mouth are God-breathed and filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God anoints him, and he begins proclaiming again the good news that Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth, is the Messiah, and he died for the sins of the world, Jew and Rome. And on the third day, according to our Hebrew prophets, he rose from the dead. I am an eyewitness, and I have seen him with my own eyes. That's the only thing he's being charged with, and he shares the gospel. And from that moment forward, Rome would never be the same. And with that, we stop for tonight. But that's quite a scene, isn't it? What I want to say is as we bring this whole dramatic scene and there's Paul is going to be you or me somewhere, someplace, sometime, maybe at your, the office, it may be in a scene, a situation, a gathering, and all of a sudden everybody looks at you. What are you going to say? Don't talk about yourself. Don't vindicate yourself. Don't defend yourself, but lift up and point to Jesus Christ. This man is alive. He is risen. He is who he claims to be. He has the power he claims to have. And you can know him personally if you open the door of your heart. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. And it's been... uh, Hold me by a little bird or maybe several little birds that there are people who are either coming back to church or visiting church or many of them are now in the safety of their homes or behind a screen in an apartment somewhere or in a condominium or in a place where they're by themselves who have been kind of not into religion per se, not into God. Maybe they were even raised long ago in the church or they went to Catholic church or Baptist or Presbyterian or some denomination or they have some general knowledge and something happened while they were younger. God didn't answer a prayer that they asked or then... The enemy came and said, well, see, he's not real. He didn't, he didn't hear your prayer. They didn't get healed. There's no God. You don't have to worry about it. And off you go. And you went into the Pandora's box of wherever you are. But you've been having second thoughts. And I just want to say to you that because there are prodigals that you would never dream would ever come back who are being brought back by the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is faithful and uh, honestly, you have, many of you misjudged God. You say, well, I don't believe in a God that's mean or you know, I don't believe in a God that would do it this or that. Or, and basically you wanna say, well, I don't believe in that God either. That God doesn't even exist. You've rejected a shadow. God is gracious, God is good, God is loving, God is kind, God is compassionate. God loves you. He knows more than we do and we can't, you know, say, well, you have to answer this prayer this way at this moment or you're not real. That doesn't even make sense. But it happens and people do that. And what you need to know is that, that he works all things together for good. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. But there are those who are returning 
coming home. Maybe for the first time you've been hearing about Jesus and you're like, you know, I don't think money is the way out or pleasure is the way out of this or politics is ever going to get every, you know, anything figured out. And you're kind of re- you're reduced to if there's not a God that is loving and kind, we're in trouble. And it's over. And, and it becomes very dark and despairing. Like, what, what is life all about? What are we doing? What are we living for, even? And sadly, there are many that are taking their lives. But I, I want to say to you that in the name of Jesus, don't let the enemy lie to you. The devil can't kill you, but he can try to get you to do it for him. He is a murderer. The Bible said, Jesus said, from the beginning. But he's a liar. God is good. That's why he sent his son, Jesus. And that's why Jesus died, so you can live. But you got to admit what's kind of obvious. You don't have it all figured out, let alone your own tiny little life. Forget the universe at large or seven billion people. You've got to take a step of faith to where the creator of the universe is smarter than me. He knows more than me. He's got to have it all together, and and the way that you figure it out and get clarity is Jesus was willing to be beaten, suffer, and die. The only human being who ever lived a perfect life. Um, Every time he opened his mouth, heaven came out. Every time he touched someone, heaven flowed in healing or deliverance or whatever. So put your faith and trust. We're not asking you to trust in a church a denomination, some particular way of religious life. No. The only thing you're asked to put your faith in is a person, and that person is Jesus, Jesus alone, because he's the Savior. So if you would open the door of your heart, again, he doesn't demand, you got to do this, get your act together. You know, he doesn't do that. He doesn't give those kind of orders. He invites I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If you will open the door, I will come in. So I'm going to ask you if you're willing to kind of stop fighting and let go, surrender, give up. You can't figure it out. You're not smart enough. You're too broken. You need a savior. That's why he's called a savior. So... I'm going to say a very simple childlike prayer. All those who know the Lord can pray with me. Again, I'd like to remind you, it's not getting saved again. It is remembering and rehearsing the beauty, preciousness of our salvation. But for someone, it may be your, you know what a prodigal is, coming home, starting over, uh, stopping doing it your own way, and saying, I need help. I need, and Jesus It's like Peter, when they said, wow, what are we going to do? There's people falling away. They don't, you know, Jesus is saying some amazing things that are hard to understand. And Peter said, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. So I invite you, uh, whether as a prodigal or maybe for the very first time, to pray this very simple childlike prayer. I'm going to pray it out loud so you're not to be ashamed of Jesus. And he said, I won't be ashamed of you. But if you do pray this, he will enter you, wash you, cleanse you, forgive you, fill you with his spirit, and he will heal your life forever. 
So let's pray, those who are willing, after that manner. Dear Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner, and I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I'm so sorry for everything I've done wrong. I open the door of my heart, and I invite you to come into my life to be my personal Lord and Savior. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. I receive the gift of eternal life. Now help me follow you all the way to heaven until I see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.